The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Foot First Podiatry. Painful bunions, then it's time to get your bunion fixed with Foot First Podiatry's exclusive Sklar Bunionectomy. No scars, no casts, no crutches, no kidding. For more information about the Sklar Bunionectomy, visit footfirst.com. And by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. Hi, everybody. Welcome into another episode of The Sportscaster and Her Son, where sports bridges the gap between the generations. I'm your co-host, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster, Peggy Kaczynski, now with ESPN Radio in Chicago, formerly of NBC Chicago. I'm the baby boomer, and I'm the mom. And I'm your other co-host, Jason Canander. I am a second semester sophomore at the University of Texas at Austin. There, I work with Texas Student Television. I'm also a writer for Southside Sox. You can see all my content on Twitter at Jason Canander. And I'm Generation Z. So thank you, everyone, who has followed us on YouTube. We, our subscriber numbers are going up. Our website, thesportscasterandherson.com. You can find behind-the-scenes blogs, photos, things like that on there. And thank you for listening wherever you get your podcasts. Please, please, please continue to download and follow and tell your friends. Jason, in this episode, this is one of my favorite times of the year because it's the NFL draft. I used to say that when I worked at ESPN and then coming to Chicago, working at Chicagoland Television and then NBC, I think I worked 18 straight NFL drafts. It's my favorite time of the year. This year in Chicago, the Bears have a new regime, a new general manager with Ryan Poles, a new assistant GM, new head coach, and Matt Eberflus, new assistant coach. I mean, everyone's new but they don't have a lot of picks. So it's going to be interesting to see what they're able to do and what their philosophy is going to be heading into this draft. Absolutely. And first off, I just wanted to echo what you said. I absolutely love draft year, uh, the draft time of the year, that is. Um, as a big college sports fan myself, I love the NFL, NBA, and MLB drafts because I get to see my favorite players in college go to some of my favorite teams in the professional leagues. Now, with the Bears, they're in a very interesting position going into this draft. Obviously, they sacrificed some draft capital last year in order to move up and take Justin Fields. This year, they're a little handicapped in the draft, but Still a lot of work can be done and a lot of holes can be filled during the draft, particularly at wide receiver. We've seen in past drafts, a lot of these late round sleeper guys get picked on day two, day three, and then they come in and immediately make an impact on day one in the NFL. Wide receiver is a big hole on the Bears roster. It's something I expect them to fill in the draft. And it's something that I think they can get an impact maker, uh, difference maker out of. Well, and Jason, wide receiver, this is a great year for wide receivers. And what we found out last year in the NFL, look at all the rookie wide receivers, how well they did. Guys are coming into the league pro offense ready. It's You're right. You can get a good receiver. Hopefully last year wasn't just a blip and it shows more of a trend. 
Well, it has been more of a trend. The past couple of drafts have been incredibly well, um, incredibly good when it comes to wide receivers. Last year, it stood out because of Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle both having 1,000-yard seasons. But the year before, Justin Jefferson had an incredible rookie year for the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Um, Henry Ruggs, of course, didn't end up panning out in the NFL. Jerry Judy is another guy on the Broncos, will be a big breakout star with Russell Wilson at quarterback. So all of these past couple of drafts have had marquee wide receiver prospects and then also some late guy, late round guys that make a big impact. One storyline to watch here are two Ohio State wide receivers, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. The Bengals last year took Jamar Chase in the top 10. A lot of people thought it was a reach. A lot of people were questioning their strategy, taking a wide receiver at five instead of an offensive lineman. And the connection between Burrow and Chase, because they were college teammates, was so strong in the NFL, it completely changed the Bengals' offense and was one of the main reasons why they made the run to the Super Bowl. So something that the Bears could look to do is maybe move up if it's necessary, take Olave or Wilson, somebody who Fields has a pre-established connection with, a guy who is already going to be a top wide receiver prospect in the NFL regardless of where he lands, and build the offense around that. It'll be very interesting to see what the Bears do. There are many holes to fill after they were somewhat dormant in free agency. So we'll see what Ryan Poles' strategy entails. He said in his opening press conference that they were going to emphasize building through the draft step one begins at the end of the month well with only five picks there's only so much he can do and he is picking up players to kind of plug the holes right now as a former offensive lineman who was actually in bears camp at one point ryan poles has to fix the offensive line i am a believer that you yes you could draft a cornerstone on that line but really, you need the big guys who have experience. And I, I like when you get offensive linemen in free agency. So I still think that they got to protect Justin Fields. But I, I still think that they're a year away, at least, from finding the right guys on this offensive line. I don't think they're going to find that in the draft. I don't think they will either, but an important part is going to be building depth. And when you trade the draft capital that they did to pick Justin Fields, the obvious next step is to invest in an offensive line to protect that long-term investment that you just made. And the Bears did it last year when they traded up to take Tevin Jenkins, the pick after Justin Fields. This year, I'd expect them to do something similar. If they see an offensive lineman that they had a first round grade on, early second round grade, start to slip into the second round, I'd expect the Bears to move up because I think that they're determined, like you said, to find the right players. And this draft at the surface might not look like it's filled with the right players, but if the Bears see a guy that they really like, there's no reason to not move up and invest in him, especially if it's an offensive lineman, because the Bears need young core pieces on the offensive line. Tevin Jenkins missed almost every game last season. Larry Borum missed almost every game last season. The Bears are lacking depth and they're lacking future pieces up front. Football games, fo successful football teams, playoff runs are built through the trenches and those are the Bears' two biggest holes. Defensive line and offensive line can always build that through the draft and I think that they will. Yeah, I, I agree. You have to start in the trenches and then you work yourself out. And if you're moving yourself all the way out, you talk about defensive backs and safeties. And that's another area that the Bears are thin at this year. You can typically find a couple of guys in the middle rounds there. Uh, whether or not they have an impact, that will be interesting because it looks like they are going to give Eddie Jackson and these guys another chance to prove themselves. We'll see. I wanted to call this episode phone a friend because I thought we should phone an old friend of mine 
And here he is joining us now, Chris Berman from ESPN. Uh, we are so honored to have you joining us. What people don't realize is that you and I go back a long, long. Oh, wait, we, I should say we go back, 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 uh, back. <laughs> say that. That's public domain, Peg. Nice to see you. And Jason, I, I will say that, um, you know, we go back. Yeah, we worked at ESPN a long time ago. I'm old and you're not. How did that not happen? No, that's not true. We're, we're, we're both young at heart. How about that? Let's hope so. Uh, I know. Sports I know. keeps us young. Nice to see you. I was just telling Jason that, you know, I think I worked 18 straight NFL drafts before I semi-retired five years ago. 1981 was my first one. And that would be before you were born and certainly before Jason was born. That's the year I graduated from high school. Yeah, but I was old already. But um, and so, no, I the last one I did was Chicago, oddly enough, the first oh. one. I'm, semi-retirement like you is a good thing. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. The draft is cool. But I will say this generally, uh, and you know it from working on, you know, one part of it uh, or many parts of it. It's the hardest thing that I did in a given year. Now, again, we're not in a coal mine. We're not. Let's keep it in perspective, okay? But not so much. It used to be 10 hours or 11 hours, you know, on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday, rounds one through three, and you were like this at the end of it. But, um, yeah. It's the boning up for the three weeks before. It was a reminder why I never went to grad school. <laughs> But wait, you went to Brown, and what what I should re remind people here is that I did work with Chris at ESPN when I was a production assistant and then an associate producer, worked on NFL Game Day, uh, worked when Baseball Tonight was not even, did not even exist, and right. um, that started. You and John Saunders were so good to me. You, you sat in that back corner in the old studios. We had fun. We laughed. I helped clean up your desk and your schmutz rag from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> you have to explain what a schmutz rag. I sweat in an igloo, but go ahead. Yeah, so he would sweat, and when he got off the air after a show, he kept the same towel in his desk that you, he would wipe the makeup off and just throw it back in his desk. And so we would go, walk around and we'd say, it's the schmutz rag. <laughs> hey, this was ESPN. This was primitive. We were Lewis and Clark, Peg. I know. Hey, speaking of being primitive, you started there, what, in 86? What, at ESPN? Yeah. Oh, no. I started one month in, 79. Oh, 79, 79. One month into its inception. Yeah. We when, I, 70... when I look at that old video, I mean, sometimes it looks like a Saturday Night Live skit. It, well, it's... <laughs> well, we I did look like Will Ferrell, you know, um, <laughs> I, I, and I had the, you know, Ron Burgundy, right? Um, I had the mustache, because late 70s now, 79, 80, good hair. Mustache. We had Getty Red. Getty was our first, um, well, benefactor, our first owner, if you will. And if you remember vaguely, Getty Oil, it mm. was red. And we had to wear these red jackets on a lot of the shows. We looked like Buckingham Palace. So um, uh, it was, look, it was pretty primitive. It was 75, 80 of us, but 
We and I did the late show in the beginning, meaning two thirty Eastern. Uh, now West Coast eleven thirty, what have you? But um, that was pretty much the Sports Center for a few years, and you know, it'd be New England um, four in the morning. You're driving home. It's January. Um, and people like Chicago, you know, like, yeah, okay, what am I doing here? And it turned out okay. 43 years later, it turned out okay. Unbelievable. What would you have done? I know you have a history degree from Brown. Was that your fallback? What, were you going to be a teacher or something? No, no, no. I had no fallback. I would have fallen <laughs> down. Um, my dad, great guy, God rest his soul, you know, said, not knowing much about it, the businesses, he goes, do you want to give, you know, trying to get it into like business school and just uh, as a fallback, I went, I'm going to give this a shot. Now, it wasn't my first job, but I was 24 when I started. So um, I said, look, if the thing stays on the air for two years, Dad, this is after it was going, Peg. Um, just a year and a half or two years, I'm on a half an hour a night. You know, local sports was three minutes at six, three minutes at 11, right? I said, I'll either be good enough to go somewhere with this or I won't be good enough. If it stays on the air, you know, not a lot of pressure, not like you could fool around. But, you know, 2.30 in the morning, it wasn't, oh, my God, it's, you know, 100 million people watching. You could learn how to do it kind of on your own. Mm. And that's what happened to all of us, whether you were behind. The, if you had started with a 79, 80, 81, even when you were there in the mid 80s, mm -hmm. um, um, it, it was hey, look, we don't have a lot of us to row the boat. So start rowing. That's kind of the way it went. ESPN for me is one of the one of the first memories when it comes to my introduction to sports and watching SportsCenter and watching you. And I think about how much ESPN has changed in my time as a sports fan. What do you think about how much broadcasting and ESPN and just the way that sports is covered in general has changed since the time you started to now? Well, Jason, how old are you? I am 19 turning 20 in a month oh. and a half. All right. Well, I mean, it had changed by the time you were born, obviously, a lot. Um, so to tell these old stories won't be much to you. It's a good question. So even in the 20 years you've been alive, let's just go that way. All right. The immediacy, there was no Internet 20 years ago. Or there was, but not really, you know, right. um, and not um, you still 20 years ago in 2002, for example, yeah, there were there were some sports talk shows in this, but you still were not getting stuff instantaneously, certainly not on your phone, not on this. So the whole landscape, not only VSPM, but everything has changed because uh, the immediacy, you know something, Tiger Woods just birdied the third hole. Like, we all know that immediately. Well, in 2002... We didn't know that at all if, if it wasn't alive on TV at the, at the moment. So um, the immediacy, the technology, I mean, it speaks for itself. And even in the last 10 years, that's drastically changed with people being able to, you know, from uh, Australia, being able to show you a picture of what just happened, not that you necessarily care, or for us to show Tiger Woods, 
burning a hole to your friend in Australia in the middle of the night. I mean, it's just leaps and bounds. It's hard to even put into words as I'm stumbling to do that. Um, sports reporting, there are the only problem with it now. I don't want to say problem because everyone, okay, we all have a, uh, I don't, but blog this, that, this. Well, if it's on the internet, it must be true. Well, not really, you know, um, sometimes. So the immediacy, sometimes everybody being a journalist, and there are great ones on internet, but some are not saying bad actors, just saying, hey, I heard did it, and then you read it, and Peg reads it, and and even I read it, and it, well, it, it must be, no, it's not true. So there are so many outlets, and there's no way 100% of them are going to be correct. We got to be careful with what we think is really happening, but it's kind of the fun of it that if, if you drop a quarter on the floor where you're living right there, we all can hear about it, and you can show it to us. There it is. It rolled under the dresser. Darn it. And and the craziest thing about that is is you talk about the immediacy and how different it is just 20 years ago. And like for me, growing up in this era, that's like the norm for me. So I can't even imagine it being anything other than that. Now, I want to transition a little bit more into the particular stuff that you covered. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you covered 39 Super Bowls. I've covered a lot of them. So, <laughs> so do the math. Uh, so, <laughs> on, so 39, 40. Yeah, I mean, I've been around. So a little a little bit of a two-parter here. What sets the Super Bowl apart from any other sporting event from a coverage standpoint? And which, give me one Super Bowl memory that sticks out above the rest if you were to just tell one Super Bowl memory. Back to our conversation in a minute. But first, have you ever dealt with bunions? I have. It got to the point that I couldn't even wear any shoes without having shooting pain. Even at night, I couldn't even pull the covers over my foot. It hurt so bad. It didn't matter if I was wearing slippers or boots, gym shoes working out, or heels for a night out. The pain was intolerable. I finally decided to do something about it. That's when I heard about Foot First Podiatry and their exclusive procedure, the Sklar Bunionectomy. It has you on your feet the day after surgery. Are you kidding? Well, I had to see it to believe it. And you know what? They were right. Surgery was easy. I am so glad I did it. I walked out of surgery in a boot, no cast, no crutches, walking the same day. And you can be back in a gym shoe in two weeks. When I look at my foot now, there's no visual scar. And best of all, I am pain free. So ladies and guys, don't walk around in pain like I did for years. Visit footfirst.com. What sets the Super Bowl apart from any other sporting event from a coverage standpoint? And which, give me one Super Bowl memory that sticks out above the rest if you were to just tell one Super Bowl memory, period. Well, um, the Super Bowl, of course, and it was this way, but it is truly an all-American holiday, if you will. Even... 25 years ago, I was struck by all the international, that's not the answer you're looking for, but this game is being broadcast in all these languages by all, it's going everywhere. It's going to Antarctica. It's going, you know, to the Penguins that wanted to watch it. So um, it, it it's as if, you know, we have 
no holiday late January, early February. We're, by the way, the Super Bowl will be President's Weekend in another year, not next year, but in another one. That's so it'll be on a holiday. But it it was for all these years. Let's just say late January, right, Jason? So we had Christmas, we had New Year's, and then we had winter. If you live where you do and I do, and a lot of the country lives, and then there's this Super Bowl that no matter what, people got together. And even if the Bengals were playing like this year, who nobody really, I don't want to say nobody, but a lot of the casual fans weren't dialed in on, and the Bengals certainly earned their way there and could have won the game. But all of a sudden, you're an expert on the Cincinnati Bengals along with the Rams, and you knew a lot of their players. Even though you didn't follow, it's like everybody stops. Who do you like? Oh, I'm in a Super Bowl pool with the five for the AFC and an eight. Naturally, you get the bad numbers, right? Eight for the NFC. And so what makes the Super Bowl special is, you know, football's America's game. It has been. I love baseball. We could go on with others. I love them. But everything stops for the Super Bowl. And even going into it that weekend, it's Super Bowl weekend. People are making sure they have food. They have friends. They have this. It's snowing out. We don't care. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Now, when I first and when I was younger, before I got on the air, a lot of the Super Bowls were blowouts, to be honest with you. The last 20 years, your lifetime should take full credit for it. Um, <laughs> starting with probably you know, late 90s, uh, certainly 99 with a tackle on the one yard. Like, they, like they've, they've come, three-fourths of them have come down to the last series or whatever. One that's, well, so many of them stand out. I mean, the best Super Bowl moment. Um I happened because we do primetime on the field after the game. And in 2001, again, that's, you know, that's before your time. That's when we had 9-11. The season it was delayed a couple weeks. The Patriots, who were from nowhere, were in the Super Bowl against uh, no one knew who Tom Brady was. I don't mean no one, but, I mean, he, he wouldn't even start at the start of the season. Bill Belichick, yeah, does he really know what he's doing? The Rams are the greatest show on turf. So Steve Young and I were getting ready to do NFL primetime, last four, five, six minutes around the field. We were under the goalpost, and here's this drive in a tie game with the great 14-point favorite Rams against the unknown Patriots in a 9-11 year. And Adam Vinatieri's field goal from 40-whatever yards, was it 48, 40, I mean, and it comes over the goalpost. And it lands right at our feet. And I um, looked at Steve like this, like the Patriots just won the Super Bowl. And here's the ball. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, nobody has that story. And not that we were, we just, we could have been at the other end zone. You know what I mean? And I have many more. I mean, the ending that you might remember with Pittsburgh and Arizona with Roethlisberger and Santonio Holmes. I mean, we, I, I'm, I'm obviously New England's comeback. It sounds like all New England, but the ball going through in the year of 9-11 of these huge underdog Patriots, the name, the Patriots, that was a pretty cool moment. Um, way earlier, Joe Montana, and I was very close with this team, the 49ers, they won three of their Super Bowls in, in, uh, pretty handily. 
uh, even though their first one, Super Bowl 16, the score is close, but they were way ahead. The one in 88, which they beat the Bengals on a drive by Joe Montana to Jerry Rice about eight times, and then he hit John Taylor under the goalpost at the very end of the game to win. You know, they were down by three or four at the time. Um, what's taken on a beauty of that afterwards is he was Joe Cool, Joe Montana, is the story, and Peg, you may know this story. So with four minutes to go, they're on their own, 11, 13, 9. I mean, I'm, I'm a little hazy now. And there's a long TV timeout, and Montana sticks his head out of the, out of the, uh, the huddle. And he goes, oh, my God, and, and or something like that. And the, and the guys in the huddle were, uh-oh, like, uh, if he's uptight, then we're uptight. He goes, did you see who's over there on the sidelines? That's John Candy. <laughs> and um, uh, and, they, and they look up during the TV timeout and, okay, we're going to run 65 toss power trap on two. First play on, on you know. And that's a true story. Again, I didn't know it at the time, but that's awesome. Having seen him lead them down the field and clutch, and then knowing that was the com- well, what was the conversation in the huddle? What well, we saw, John Candy. That's pretty funny, isn't it? Oh, that's awesome. One of the things that people can see right now on the video portion of the podcast is how demonstrative you are um, and animated you are. And one of the things. I learned from you in my sports casting career here in Chicago was when I would do highlights, I always used my hands when I was talking. And I learned that from you, Chris, because you did highlights like you're telling everybody what, look at this, look at what is going on here. And it really resonates with the audience because they feel like you are talking to them and this is exciting. And look at this, what we're doing and using your hands and while you're not on camera and just talking over the video helped me so much to be able to get the message of the excitement across to the viewer. And I got that from you. Too many people try to be somebody else, right? You mentioned Ron Burgundy. It's a joke. Okay. A lot of people tried to be you, but you were so unique when you came into this world of sports casting and the nicknames and everything. I mean, this was all just you. It was all just Boomer. Well, it's pretty scary when you think about it, that that is me. Um, And the talking with the hands, it's best off camera because Boy, my mother, you're using your hands again. Sit on them, you know. But to your point with highlights, we're off camera, as you pointed out. I never thought of that. If you can't get excited showing and telling people about what you were excited about in a close game, like a couple that we just described, and not all the games are close. I mean, I I announced many or did many 11-to-1 baseball highlights. You know, my God. But – um if you're into it, I think you're going to make a, as long as it's you. Yes. Bob Lee is a is a completely different person than me. I have the utmost and always will respect for him, his style, but he's him. But he, over 40 years, was a, a staple, a, a torchbearer at ESPN. I did it differently. I'm more, I'm an excitable boy, as Warren Zevon once sang. So, um he did Werewolves of London, Jason. You're going to have to look that song up. So, uh, look, highlights are, at least in my day, and I think they still are, even though you've seen them on your phone immediately, when you go to a show like a sports center or something, do the highlights like they're live. Be excited. People want to – and don't say it until the ball hits the 
and he could go, don't say, and he's going to score a touchdown when he's on the 20. Don't do that. He could go, because sometimes he's caught from behind, right? Mm-hmm. All the, oh, but he got caught, you know. Um, just be yourself. And I was excitable. And I, I don't know that uh, if I'm the reason you're using your hands a lot, then then maybe it's in our genes. I don't know. Um, but Where did sports, the Nick- it's sports, Peg. It's not brain surgery. Exactly. Chris, where did the nicknames come from? Well, to be honest with you, um, they were not, let me, I'll tell you where they came from in a second. They were not something I did to be famous. If you concoct, hey, we're going to do this, and I'm going to be famous because I'm going to do all of this. Well, now you're thinking about something other than really the content. If you augment the content with something, then I think it's okay. Now, where do they come from? Um, again, I didn't do it to be fit. So even back in my days at Brown, this is, you know, in the mid-70s, the the um, Neanderthal period. Um, back in my Brown University days, I mean, we, we would look at box scores in the paper. We they, You'd have Thursday's paper to find out if the Giants beat the Dodgers. Okay. I know that's amazing to you, Jason, but that's what happened if you lived on the East coast, right? Even Chicago, probably. Um, and I would look at these nicknames, these names, and we would throw out a few nicknames. I mean, so they go back to Brown university on the few nights that we weren't in the library, we would drink our Perrier and, uh, make up these nicknames. Right. And Peg, if you're buying the Perrier part, uh, I'm worried about you, but um, so now we fast forward to 1980. I'm on the overnight show. It's it's May. It's baseball. I'm on by myself. I don't care if you it's your regular shift at 3 a.m. You're not really you know sharp. Uh, you are sharp, but so one or two of them came out from my days at brown i don't know which one i mean i don't know what was first do you remember frank tanana peg frank he was frank tanana jackery was a really good pitcher and john mayberry john mayberry rfd one of those those are the first couple that came and i got in my ear for those who don't not in our business called an ifb and the producer goes what was that you know but the camera person's laughing, and we finished the segment, and here's, you know, the American League, and we'll be back after this. And nobody got hurt. It was okay. It wasn't derogatory. It wasn't dirty. It wasn't – that's not supposed to be. And I went home, and, you know, the next day or two, I went, you know, those were okay. Like, maybe we'll try a couple more the next night and see how that goes. And, again – you have to understand, I know, Jason, you can't understand this, and many of the viewers are, are, are listening or watching or listening. We'd have Seattle 5, Kansas City 2, no highlights, and the thing would be up there for 40 seconds. Yeah. Well, embellish it a little bit. Yeah. You can only stare at 5 to 2 with seven hits and two errors for so long, right? So, so Julio Cruz, second baseman, Seattle, was Julio, won't you let me take you on a sea cruise, you know? <laughs> or or these are the ones that go way back. O to be McDowell, Cleveland, then Indians. O to be young again, McDowell. <laughs> um, and 
You didn't have to know he played the outfield or played for Cleveland. The best one was Burt Blyleather, probably, because, again, you don't have to know he's a pitcher. He pitched for Pittsburgh or Minnesota or, you know, a couple other teams. He has a Hall of Fame curveball, blah, blah, blah. He was Burt B. Home Blyleather because <laughs> every kid heard it and every parent said it. So, actually, the nicknames were for everybody, not necessarily the hardcore in the beginning, baseball fan, and of course we use many in football, and they're just to the play on it. They can be food, movies, obviously rock and roll. Boomer, the best part though was that guys started writing you letters, and when you would when you would be at a game in person, they they would pull you aside. They wanted a nickname. They guys, they, players they wanted a nickname. They they did because back then. It was just fun, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, there are a couple players that they didn't dislike. Kevin Bass, I used to, if you remember him, Astros and others, mm-hmm. um, he was largemouth bass. And he pulled me aside at the at the at the batting cage one day. He goes, you know, I don't know if I like that nickname. I said, what's the matter? It makes me sound like a big mouth, you know, like like I, I talk all the time. And so, well, how about and I said, oh. I said, how about smallmouth? That's good. Go with it. And and so um and so we, we went with it. Again, it's become well, I and you know Peg, because you helped me answer some of the mail back in the day. Yeah. Nobody knows that. Peg was one of my first ghost letter writers back. I mean, my God. Um, and there would be lists of fifty. And if yeah. I laughed at them, I used them. Yes. And ghost writers everywhere was great. Absolutely. Boomer, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to join us. It's been so fun to kind of take a walk down memory lane. It's great to see you again. I'd love to be able to prove to my son, Jason, that I did actually work at ESPN in Bristol and that I did know you guys, the the big guys, um, and worked with you. And it's great to reconnect after all these years. Well, Peg, I'm glad that you still have the enthusiasm for sports and have, have done this and have fun doing it and you get to do it with with your son. And I mean, and it, it's a, hey, look, sports. The one thing I'll leave you with, and I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to know this early on. It's, it's about in this day and age, the best melting pot that we have in the U.S. And boy, do we need it. And that's not a political statement. That's a real statement. Um, old and young, uh, male, female, white, black, uh, rich, poor. We can talk about, they can all watch this show or watch my show. And we can talk about football or baseball, and it's okay. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know, who you mm-hmm. are. Are you interested in it? Good. Then what's your opinion? And it, it brings a lot of people together, and uh, we need more things like it. I know that sounds heavy, but I wanted to leave you with that thought because it kind of hit me about 15 years in. Like, darn, this is a this is okay. Mm-hmm. This is we can talk. Hey, did you see that game last night? Yeah, perfect stranger. And for five minutes, you can have a nice conversation at an airport or wherever you are, a train stick, you know, walking down the street. Have a good day. So proud of you, Peg. You were anyone that worked with us in the 80s and 90s. It's a red badge of courage. So uh, <laughs> we're proud to be teammates to this day. We uh, made happy it. Happy spring. 
Hey, you two, and um, next time you're in Chicago, let's stop and get a Perrier together. <laughs> they have Perriers in Chicago, don't they? <laughs> yeah, a few of them. Some of them are flavored. <laughs> oh, I'm aware. Yeah, that, that shows that we're getting old, that we don't remember them flavored way back when. <laughs> I know. Thank you, Boomer. Take care, buddy. See you. All right. Thank bye-bye. You. All right, Jason, no predictions needed because, listen, it's hard to predict the NFL draft, you know. So, you know, what the Bears are going to do, it's exciting to see. You know, we could predict are they going to go offensive lineman, wide receiver, whatever. But really, it's not important. This was a fun episode. No predictions, no final thoughts. But tell people, if they like the episode, what they should do. Well, if you like the episode, please like, rate, and subscribe our show on Spotify. In the top left, near the title of the podcast, you can press a follow button. You can also rate us five stars. You need to listen to at least three episodes, but it's a good system, and it helps us out a lot. You can also listen to us on uh, Podbean, Apple Play, um, really anywhere else. YouTube is something that we're trying to push because we like the subscribers. You can see our pretty faces, but anywhere that you access podcasts, you can find our show. And don't forget, you can find my other show also on YouTube under the Podbean Network called Pass the Mic, in which we feature women in sports and sports media. All right, our thank you. Thank you to our guest today, the one and only Chris Berman. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Adam Yaffe, our Sultan of Sound, and to Eldo Gandia of the Barroom Network. Don't forget, if you like this episode, please hit the like button, rate us, and subscribe. And that's it for this episode. It's a short and sweet one. Phone a friend always is, but it's very fulfilling. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Anytime, Mom. All right, take care, guys. The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, electrically connecting our world. And by Foot First Podiatry. It's time to get your bunion fixed with Foot First Podiatry's exclusive Sklar Bunionectomy. No visual scars, no casts, no crutches, no kidding. Visit footfirst.com.